Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Michael Bruce is a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He is one of only 168 psychologists in the world to have passed the Sleep Medical Specialty Board without going to medical school. He's the author of numerous best-selling books and here today to talk about his latest must-read titled Energize, Go From Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. Michael is literally the sleep doctor, so I am beyond excited to have him back on the show to talk all things sleep and energy. Michael, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Jay. Love the new book. It's called Energize and like great books and, and great stories and wellness, it often starts with a powerful personal story where there was a health event and you had a pretty serious health event. So can you start there? Sure. I'd be happy to. So, so first of all, thanks for reading. I appreciate the fact that you actually got into the story of it. So it was really interesting. My co-author, Stacy Griffith and I both ended up with cardiac events. I had a physical cardiac event. She had a love breakup cardiac event. And so that was the wake up call for her. But the wake up call for me was a bit different being a physical event. So I was at a restaurant and returned from the restroom and all of a sudden nothing felt right. You know, you remember Charlie Brown and the teacher would be like, wah, 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 wah. All of a sudden the person that I was at dinner with. So my wife and I were actually at dinner with two physicians which turned out to be very fortunate for this particular meal. And all of a sudden their voices started to change on me. And I could see from the outside that things were getting darker and darker. And, you know, as a doctor, you start to realize like, okay, one of three things is happening to me right now. I'm either having a stroke, I'm having a heart attack, or I'm having some sort of a panic attack and I'm going to pass out. I was able to turn my head to my wife and say, I don't feel so. And that was the last thing that I remember. Um, it turned out that I was overdoing it, right? So I'm 53 years old and I'm on the road a lot and I'm educating people all over the world about sleep. And my biggest stress reduction tool was running. And I was running three 5Ks a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I was on the treadmill, punching it out. And to be clear, these weren't casual runs. These weren't Oh, look at the trees. You know, it was, these were timed runs. I was trying to get under approximately 26 minutes for my run. So seven and a half to eight minute miles for each one of them. So I was really moving and it turns out that I just put way too much stress on my system and, um, ended up in the hospital, which was not a fun event, scared the crap out of my family. And to be honest with you, it's kind of scared the crap out of me. And I really needed to take a look at balance for me. That was one of the biggest issues. So was there structural damage to your heart because of overexercising? So here's what ended up happening. I dropped P waves. So when you're looking at the, it goes P Q R S T when the heart beats. So a P wave is kind of the initial jolt of energy that sets the heartbeat in motion. And I was exercising hard enough where I was not getting that P wave. I was skipping P waves. Now. What happens in the body is the body can take over. It has a secondary function to help with that. But to be clear, you can't rely on that secondary function. And I had so much stress going on in my life. I was over-exercising. I wasn't fasting correctly, like in my 
fasting zone. And all of these things combined to create this really kind of messed up thing. And let's be clear, I wasn't like I was overweight. It wasn't like I was eating poorly. I was doing all the right things, but I was doing them to an excess in order to lower my stress. And that turned out to be not such a great idea. Yeah, well, let's spend some time on this because I think many of our listeners, you know, they eat right, they fast, they exercise, they probably push themselselves. <laughs> and so if you could go into a little bit more detail in, in terms of your diet, in terms of fasting, uh, hear you loud and clear on running, you, you were probably going a little too hard and just talk about what you were doing then and what you learned and what you changed. Absolutely. So one of the other areas other than the exercise overdoing it was the fasting length. My feeding time and my fasting time was very interesting. So I was basically feeding for between four and six hours a day and I was fasting for the rest. So I could be fasting for 18 to 20 hours a day while still doing this, these five K's. And so the combination, I believe of the restricted eating time, because Let's be clear, people shouldn't fast for, you know, or feed rather for only six hours a day. It's not a great idea. And so I kind of pushed it to the extreme on the intermittent fasting side of things. So that wasn't too smart of me. And also from an exercise perspective, I was only doing one exercise that had a lot of input on my cardiovascular system, that being running. So when we created the book, one of the things that we were trying to accomplish was how does somebody who wants to fast wants to be active and wants to have good sleep, do that in a way, shape and form that's balanced. Because I'm that guy, you know, who's like, let's push it. Let's go to that extreme. Let's see how much, like more must be better. I'm telling you, balance is better. That is really the lesson that I learned from all of this was knowing your body genetically and then understanding which exercises, when to fast. There's actually clues in our genetics to teach us all of this. And that's really what the book is about. And that's kind of what I did the deep dive on to try to discover. So I'm curious, when you were going through this, were you tracking your heart rate variability or resting heart rate? And I'm curious, like what that looked like when you were going through this, what it looks like now? So I was tracking my heart rate variability, but to be clear, I wasn't doing it on a daily basis. I was, I had a meter that I would look at once a week. Now I have the aura ring and so I can track it every single day and really kind of get a feel for it now. But you know, my heart rate variability was like in the 25 to 30 range, which is kind of low, it's right? Very low. Yeah. Like you really want to have significant, and this was with running, with doing all of these things. And so there could be my father has a genetic propensity for atrial fibrillation and left ventricular hypertrophy. So there could have been a genetic component in there that's not allowing for that. We're not 100% sure. Now, my heart rate variability is significantly better. I'm in the 45 to 50 range, which is better. It's not where I want it to be. But what I discovered was over-exercising was definitely one of those things that did not help <laughs> with heart rate variability. And what about uh, resting heart rate? So my resting heart rate has always been pretty consistently in the um, mid 60s. And then when I sleep, it goes down into the high 40s, low 50s pretty easily. There are times where my resting heart rate when I'm asleep is down in the low 40s, believe it or not. And I think that has to do with my cardiovascular health as well. Got it. Interesting. The book is about energy. And <laughs> let's start with how you think about defining energy, because I think energy can right. mean lots of different things to lots of different people. So how do you define energy and how, sh how should we be thinking about it? 
So for me, what I talk about with people all the time, what is energy? There's a lot of different kinds of energy. So energy comes from fuel or food, right? Energy comes from emotion. Energy comes from movement. Believe it or not, energy comes from sleep. So in the book, we start to define the different types of energy that are out there. There's spiritual energy, there's emotional energy. And by the way, all of these types of energy are available to us. You know, when we kind of sit back and define what is energy, the thing I think is the most consistent across all the different types, energy is the ability to change. And that's not something that a lot of people really think about. Change my movement, change my resting, change my food. Energy has a lot to do with motivation and resilience as well. Look, you're, you're the sleep doctor. That, that <laughs> Sleep is your specialty. You are the go-to guy for sleep. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense that sleep impacts your energy levels. But do energy levels impact sleep? Yes. So what's that? Great question. So when you think about energy levels and sort of what do they mean and can they affect sleep? You know, you think, well, if you have low energy, then maybe you have a great likelihood of falling asleep easier. The truth of the matter is, is it actually doesn't work that way. What we're looking for is even energy or what I like to call balanced energy. To be clear, the theme is balance <laughs> that we're talking about here, right? You don't want these super high spikes in energy, which you can get from things like caffeine. And you also don't want these low lows that can come from things like emotional depression and things like that. So what we're going for is trying to find the things that bring you high and the things that bring you low and bring them more towards the middle so that you get an evenness to that energy. So let's talk a bit about how we should feel, you know, you hear people say, I heard this saying once and I just love it. You know, as you get older, I'm 47 now, you know, someone said, you know, I'm getting older. I got a case of the forties or I get a case of the fifties or thirties or whatever it may be. But it's this idea that as you age, it's okay to be a little bit sluggish. And, and to some extent, I get it. Like, I, I can't play basketball like I used to 25 years ago, nor, right. nor that is a good idea for anybody. But how should we really feel? How, how do we know that? Our energy is, it is good, is where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, you know, I'm drinking my coffee right now. It's one thirty <laughs> in the, I, I'm abiding by your 2 PM rule, but I also I love do. black coffee. I love black coffee. So do I? love it, love it, love it. I, I won't go past two. And I used to drink a hell of a lot more, but <laughs> how, how should we feel? So I think that's actually the right question to ask. And so in the very first chapter of the book, we actually ask people to rate their energy. Cause you know, people don't think about it very much. Like, oh, I've got a little bit of energy now. Uh, what, like, if I turn to somebody and I say, what time of day do you have the least amount of energy? People can usually say, they're like, oh, after lunch, you know, it seems to be a real slowdown for me and I seem to lose my energy there. For people who are night owls, um, what I call wolves, their energy actually picks up after dinner. But if you're an early bird, you're waking up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and your energy has a tendency to spike at that point. So understanding when you have energy and then seeing where those gaps are can help you fill that in. So what we do is we have people monitor their energy with something called an RPE scale, which is a rate of perceived exertion. This is a scale that's used in exercise for effort, right? How much effort does it take to do something? We're kind of equating that with energy. We have people take a measurement, just one to 10, five times a day, morning, mid-afternoon, right after lunch, early evening, and then just before bed. We have people do this for about a week. So let's be honest, this is a lot like me having people do a sleep diary for a week, right? Get their baseline energy level, 
we see where they're having highs and they're having lows, then we try to even it out. But to answer your question, what should you be like in your 40s? What should you be like in your 50s? It's hard to say because people have, it, it can change by age, it can change by gender, it can change by medical condition. But one thing I want everybody to know is you can be as energetic as you want to be. I think that's the big factor for people is if you want to have more energy, do more activities and feel better, there is a way to get to that point, but without overdoing it, kind of like what I did with those cardiac events. So in the book, you say the number one cause of exhaustion are people not following their genetic chronotypes timing, which I think is fascinating. So can you walk us through the genetic chronotypes and, you know, and touch on everything from sleep duration, lifestyle, exercise, diet, and so on. I definitely want to spend some time here because I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. So if, if people out there had had an opportunity to read my third book called The Power of When, we delineated these things called chronotypes. Now, you might not know what the term means, but you probably actually heard of the concept. If anybody's ever called you an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. So back in the 70s, we discovered that there were three. There were early birds, people who wake up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. There were night owls, people who didn't go to bed until 12.30, 1 o'clock at night. And then there were people in the middle, we called them hummingbirds. This was back in the 70s. Fast forward, I had a bunch of patients who just didn't fall into either of those categories. And so I said, there's got to be some another category that's out there that we just haven't identified yet. Now, to be clear, turns out these are genetic. So it's not like you get to choose to be an early bird or choose to be a night owl. If I, there's a very specific spot on your, on your D, in your DNA called the PER3 gene. When one of those flips one way, you become an early bird. When it flips the other way, you become a night owl. So this is a genetic propensity here. And here's the thing. I like to do what mother nature wants me to do. And so I try to follow as close to my genes as humanly possible. Even when my genes are a little bit messed up, like that flip where some people are early and some people are late. When you think about it from a genetic perspective, it gets really interesting really quickly. So let me give you an example. Let's say that it's morning time and I'm ready to focus in on a piece of information, an email, a question from my partner, something like that. If you're an early bird and you wake up in the morning, your melatonin turns off at about 5.30. By seven o'clock, you are humming on all gears and you can really get in there and make some good decisions because the brain fog isn't there. There's no melatonin. You're working great. But if you're a night owl and somebody asks you, and by the way, night owls don't even want to wake up until eight o'clock, <laughs> much less do work at eight or nine o'clock. You can see the differences that happen here in terms of the hormone flow and then that ability to have attention and to focus. So knowing and understanding your genetic chronotype actually is the biggest secret weapon you could possibly have. Because once you know it, you know what times of day you're going to have energy, what times of day you're not. You're going to know when to go to bed, when to drink coffee, when to have sex. Like all of these things are actually have perfect times throughout your timeline. You just got to know what, what setting your clock is on, if you will. Right. And once we figured that part out, we got, it got pretty easy to delineate all of these different activities. But then something else happened. I talked with my friend, Stacy Griffith, and she was complaining to me about some of her clients. She said, you know, I got clients and we have them exercising and they're exhausted still. I don't get it, Michael. And I said, well, are you having them exercise based on their chronotypical time? Because we know that early birds exercise best in the morning, night owls exercise better in the late afternoon. And she said, 
you know, I hadn't looked at that. I actually do it based on body type. And I was like, you mean like endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph from way back that I learned in high school? And she was like, yeah. She said, I find that my long and lean ectomorphs are people who do spin classes super early in the mornings and they're, we, they rarely have problems with it. Then mesomorphs, which are kind of the V-shaped people who put weight on, but not a lot of weight, they have a tendency to do better at my, not early morning classes, but my mid-morning classes. And then endomorphs, people who are a little bit on the bigger side, she said, they don't do well in any of my classes. And so I said, well, we know that body type is genetic and we know that chronotype is genetic. What would happen if we combined the two and saw how your genetics could actually give you a timeline and an amount and type of exercise? And that's really what we did. So we took 5,000 people who had all three, who had different chronotypes, and we asked them about their body types. And then we developed an entire program that's an intermittent fasting program, a movement program, and a sleep program, all based on your genetics that personalizes it exactly to you. So it's pretty amazing that all the science kind of came together on this. I, I can't help but think you're talking about the, the long and lean going for spinning first thing in the morning where my head went was, yeah, the long and lean because spinning first thing in the morning, if you, whatever you do first thing in the morning, you're not going to miss it. So they're the ones going to spinning every single day, which is why they're they're, they're long and lean, long, right? but, but they're lean. It makes sense. Whereas later in the day, I tend to skip it. Well, so, and actually a really good point. I want to double tap real quickly on that because what you're leading with is motivation, right? Turns out that body types have different motivations as well. The long and lean people, it's not that they're genetically long and lean. It turns out their metabolism is faster. And the endomorphs, the rather the thicker people that have a little bit more weight on them, their metabolism turns out to be slower. So what we end up with is non-motivated people who need to exercise to lose weight, who need to fast to lose weight. And so what we have to do is match them to exercises and movements that they like to do, right? I hate exercise. I'm a night owl. It's, I don't like uh, doing any of those things. I have to force myself to do them. But when I find exercises that I can do and do well, I'm a lot more motivated to do them. So for whatever reason, I'm a push-up guy. I like to do push-ups. It works for me. It keeps my chest the way I want it to. It keeps me strong. So I can do push-ups and feel confident that I can complete that goal and feel good about doing that. And then I want to do it again. So I know the chronotypes are pretty, you go into pretty extensive detail in the book, but could you briefly just walk yeah. us through each one so that listeners can quickly identify, all right, I'm this and I should, you know, probably look to this type of diet and exercise and, and so yeah. on. Absolutely. So there are four different chronotypes. And for folks out there, if you want to learn what your chronotype is, if you go to chronoquiz.com, C-H-R-O-N-O-Q-U-I-Z.com. And we'll have that in the show notes for you. You can figure out your chronotype right away. There's actually four different chronotypes. Early bird gets replaced with what I call a lion. So a lion is, they get up naturally between 4.30 and 5.30 in the morning. These are usually the COOs of a company. They like to make a list every day and go from step one to step two to step three. Very regimented in their thinking, very highly health conscious people. A lot of people say, oh, I want to be a lion. That sounds like the best thing to be. To be clear, they're not very good socially. I mean, they've been up since 4.30 in the morning. Dinner in a movie for a lion is out, right? They're, they're like, I want to go to bed at 8.30 at night. In the middle are bears. 
bears like to get up around 7.30. They like to go to bed around 10.30. They make about up about 55% of the population. So one in two people is a bear. And to be honest with you, I wish I was a bear. Being a bear is the best because society actually works on a bear's schedule. And so that nine to five works perfect for a bear. Bears have a tendency to be somewhat outgoing. They're people who are very friendly. These are the folks that get the work done and they're an enjoyable group to be around. Night owls, I call them wolves. I am a night owl. I am a wolf. I don't go to bed before midnight ever. I just don't do it. I don't know why. My body doesn't get there. I just can't fall asleep before that period of time. Wolves have a tendency to be a problem. So we have a tendency to be creatives. We're artists, actors, musicians. We'd like to take high risk, like me doing three 5Ks a week, like me squunching down my intermittent fasting to a smaller window. And those decisions sometimes don't turn out to be so good for us. And uh, a lot of times we like to stay up late and get up late. So what I tell people all the time is the only thing I hate more than mornings are morning people. They're just too damn chipper for me in the mornings. I can't stand it. But that is the wolf category. Now, you've already heard about all three of these before. My contribution to the literature was the fourth chronotype, what we call a dolphin. Dolphin is somebody who has uh, scattered sleep problems. They make up about 15% of the population. Usually they call themselves an insomniac. They're a lot like our lions in terms of their high intensity, kind of alphaness, if, if you will, very motivated to succeed. However, they've got so much anxiety that it seems to block their ability to succeed. They have a little bit of OCD where they just can't quite finish a project because it's never quite done, whereas everybody else looks at the project and says it's amazing. Once you figure out what your chronotype is, and then again, chronoquiz.com can help you out with that, then you figure out your body type. Eight questions figures out your body type, pretty straightforward. Now you've got two very important pieces of information for you. The chronotype is going to tell you when to sleep. It's going to tell you when to intermittent fast, and it's going to tell you when to move. The body type is going to tell you how long to fast and which movements to do. So once you've got these two solid pieces of info, you're good to go. I love it. I love it. And so look, it, 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 it's winter. It's getting very cold here in New York. The days are short. I hear you, brother. You need to come back out to Cali. I'm ready to go somewhere warm. And, <laughs> I, and I don't understand why we do what we do with the clocks. Do you have a point of view? Because where I'm going to go next is the season. So do you have a point of view on what we should or should not be doing with daylight savings and Absolutely. all the nonsense we do? Absolutely. So first of all, I like your word, nonsense. Daylight savings used to be a very important thing. Actually, it was, believe it or not, I think it was first developed by a king in New Zealand. And then Roosevelt, I think, pulled it back out during war times. But Ben Franklin was also somebody who had a lot to do with it. And it really was when we were an agrarian society, we'd get more daylight so we could produce more food, things like that. There's absolutely no need for daylight savings right now. In fact, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has been calling in every state we're trying to get them to stop daylight savings time because quite frankly, it's incredibly disruptive. And here's an interesting statistic that is no, and thankfully is no longer a statistic, but the day after daylight savings, when you lose an hour used to be the number one day for traffic accidents in the United States. So should we not end it? Like it, it just ended in November. Like, should we just extend the day? Cause I guess well, it's daylight saving. I like when it starts. I like the extended day, but I don't like when it ends. What we need to do is we need to pick a side. Right. And you know what I'm saying? Like 
Which one is better for the other? When you talk about it from a sleep perspective, we're really talking about light exposure, right? And so when the sun comes up, that sun hits our eyeballs, turns off the melatonin faucet in our brain and sets our day up, right? Tells it, signals our brain, time to go, let's get going. When that light comes in and hits our eyes, will change or disrupt our circadian cycles. And so again, I can't figure out the reason that we would need to do this at ever again. And let's be fair, there are a couple of states that don't follow daylight savings. I think Arizona, maybe Idaho is another one. I can't recall all of them. So should we keep it, should it be daylight savings always on or always off to clarify? So I would argue daylight savings always on makes a lot of sense because Remember, sunshine really helps with our energy levels. We need the vitamin D. Just as a side note for folks out there, 98% of COVID deaths are in people with deficient vitamin D, right? So if you get anything from this, go outside for 15 minutes every morning, get some sunlight. Yeah, we're huge believers in vitamin D. So look, I I hope someone with the power to change this is listening. I'm not optimistic. With that said, I'm in New York. It, it's gray. It's cold. It's a shortened day. Mm-hmm. So, so winter's here. So how should we yep. think about winter and, and the seasons in general and how we should be adapting in terms of our sleep and in terms of feeling energetic? So winter times, it's very easy to want to hibernate, right? Like a bear, right? Don't go outside. Don't exercise. You don't get a lot of light exposure. This is a, a tendency that we have to really address. If we're not going to get the light exposure that we once were, many people don't know it, but light is not the only circadian pacemaker out there. Another one is exercise. So one of the reasons why in the book Energize, we have you doing five minutes of exercise five times a day is we help keep your circadian rhythm in check during the winter time. Now, during the summer, we actually ask you to go outside and do your exercises so you can get that extra sunlight. But if you follow my five and five method, what you'll discover is that while you still need light exposure, the exercise can be helpful. Now, one question people often ask is, Michael, I don't want to go outside for my light exposure. Is it okay to get light inside or fluorescent lighting, or should I buy a light box or those types of things? So let's kind of double tap on that just really quickly if we can. Nothing wrong with getting exposure to light that way. Okay. However, to be fair, sunlight is the best. Um, Sunlight has the full broad spectrum. And so, you know, even if you can just go for a walk for 10 minutes in the morning, and to be clear, you don't have to look at the sun, but I would recommend not wearing sunglasses for 10 minutes or so. This way your eyes get all of the light that's coming into them and they will adjust. You will not hurt your eyes by walking outside without sunglasses for 15 minutes. But I really want to impress upon people the point of, Sunlight is better. There's at least one study to show that even if you stand next to a window, that you're getting about 55, 0% less of the light that you should be because almost all glass now has a UV coating on it, which blocks a lot of that light. So I got to be honest with you. It's good to get outside and it's good to breathe some fresh air. What's your rule of thumb? Is it try to get outside within an hour of waking, two hours of waking, and how much time should you spend outside? So in an ideal situation, not necessarily New York in the winter, I would say within 30 minutes of waking up, if you can go outside and get 15 minutes of sunlight, you are doing yourself a huge favor, assuming that the sun is up when you get up. Some people wake up at 530 and there isn't any sun. You may want to wait. 
at that point in time. But the closer to when you wake up that you can actually experience the sunlight, the better it is for your brain. Segwaying to the why behind the book, you know, you wrote the book because you both had personal experiences around energy, but I'm assuming you also wrote the book because you're not alone that as a society, we are depleted. We yes. don't feel good. We're dragging. So in your estimation, what are the, you know, other than not following our genetic chronotypes, what are the big energy drains right now that yeah. are just dragging us down? So I call them energy vampires because we have tons of them in our lives. And I'm not just talking about people, but let's be honest, we all have energy vampire people in our lives as well. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is emotional energy and ways to up your energy. One of my favorite ones is laughter. You know, if you're not somebody that has a tendency to laugh a whole lot, you know what? It's okay to watch a comedy show, <laughs> to put yourself in a better mood or 15 minutes of listening to some funny jokes or something like that. Another big energy boost that's emotional is, is music, right? So I, I don't know. I mean, here's, I'll tell you what happens at my house, or at least used to when my son lived here is I said, you can put on any music in the morning that you want, as long as you get out of bed at the right time. So his big one was he liked to play the Beastie Boys. You got to fight for your right to party at a volume of 10 every morning. And you know what? The whole house was bopping around and having a good time. So finding <laughs> those emotional, energetic times are important. But again, to look at the tough ones, right? What we're talking about here, negative people. We all have somebody in our lives that's probably not as positive as we would like them to be. And spending a lot of time with those people can really start to bring you down. That's definitely a, an energy zapper for sure. Another one, to be really honest with you, on the food side of things, sugar. People think, oh, sugar is going to give me energy and make me feel good. That is a very temporary <laughs> um, thing. And the truth of the matter is, especially with processed sugar, what you're actually doing is causing inflammation, which is going to slow down your energy. So there's a real dichotomy here. Of, I'm going to eat sugar. I'm going to eat a Snickers and have more energy. And the fact of the matter is, it's really not the best idea. So finding these energy vampires throughout your world, whether it's people, whether it's doing certain things, activities, or even the food you ingest, those are the things that we help you find in the book to avoid and then insert energy promoters. I love it. And I also love that your son was rising to the Beastie Boys. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had the chuckle. I, I've been fortunate to have, I've been to a lot of concerts and one of my all time favorite concerts were the Beastie Boys playing <laughs> at McCarran Park in the pool before they made it a pool again here in Brooklyn. Cause they're from Brooklyn and this was 2007. Yeah, so it was incredible it was like a homecoming it was the, the beastie boys you know they're they built their yeah. brand in brooklyn it was actually i think their first concert really in brooklyn at well, the famous awesome. mccarran pool because they emptied the pool and now right. it's a real pool and uh, brought back a lot of memories but when when they sang no sleep till brooklyn and brooklyn mccarran it was just like one of those electrifying moments mm -hmm. i'll never forget well, and that's a, and that's one of my theme songs, right? Is when people bring me up on stage, it's either Dreamweaver or No Sleep Till Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the biggest misconceptions we still have around energy? Well, you know, I just talked about one, which is sugar gives me energy, right? That's a biggie that people think, oh, this is going to be really good for me. Another one, caffeine. I cannot count the number of people who are like, 
don't worry, I'm going to drink a, you know, an energy drink. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm not saying that caffeine is bad to be clear, but let's be honest. Caffeine has no nutritional value whatsoever. It really isn't an ingredient that needs to be in your system. And if your system is functioning at a high enough level in terms of your energy, you really shouldn't need caffeine. Like I'm talking to you right now. I've had zero caffeine in my body. It's about almost 11 o'clock in the morning. I've done my exercise, my meditation, my breath work. All of those things set me up for a balanced energetic day where quite frankly, I don't need something like caffeine. Well, you're such a high energy guy though. And I have other friends like this where I can't imagine you on caffeine would be lethal. It would be scary, dude. It wouldn't be pretty at all. <laughs> so in closing, what, what's the takeaway for anyone listening? If they, if they should, they could do one thing that will impact their energy levels in a positive way, other than, you know, buy the book, obviously, but what's the, mm -hmm. what's the one thing that everyone could benefit from? So I think the one thing that, well, can I do two? Of course. Okay, good. So I think the one thing that people can benefit most from is measuring their energy three to four times a day and seeing where you are energetically. Identifying those times where you've got low energy and high energy is probably one of the things that's the most eye-opening to so many people. And then the second one is move. You gotta move your body. We did a very interesting experiment that turned out really well where we have people doing five different types of movement at five different times of the day. So if you get anything from this, it's move your butt five times a day, okay? Now we have specific movements. Everybody starts out, their morning movement is actually a stretch, which kind of makes sense. You've been lying in bed, hopefully for somewhere between six and eight hours. So your body kind of needs to move around a little bit and it feels good to stretch. The next movement we have in the mid-morning is called a shake. So you ever notice when animals get up, what do they do? You know, they do that whole thing. And I just did that and actually feels kind of energetic when you do that, right? So that's one, and you can shake your hands, you can shake your arms, shake your body. The third one is a bounce, right? So you can jumping jacks, you can jump up and down, you can skip. Now, to be clear, this looks a little silly when I'm doing this, right? So my wife catches me skipping down the street every once in a while because I love it. It's so much fun. I haven't skipped since I was like six years old and it gives you this bouncing, bounding energy. The fourth one is a build. This is where you actually do a large muscle group. So push-ups, sit-ups, something like that. And then the final five minutes is a balance. So I have people do a tree pose, let's say, just before bed. And the reason it's so effective is because the balance, you can't think of anything other than balancing before bed that helps clear your mind and allow you to move forward. I love it. Michael, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Jason, it's always a pleasure. And I love Mind Body Green in so many different ways. I can't even express them all. So thank you, thank you, thank you from my heart. And I love this tribe of people. People who are interested in health, interested in energy, and interested in getting better. So thank you.